The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of St. Luke, beginning with verse 5. And Simon answered and said to Jesus, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. As children growing up in the Christian faith, if we read stories about the miracles and even now as adults, we sometimes put ourselves in the position of being in the audience to observe one of these tremendous things that Jesus did, maybe bringing someone back to life from the dead or giving someone sight when they had been blind, someone who was paralyzed and so on. And I often wonder, how would I have reacted? Uh, what, what kind of impact might it have, have on me, had on me had I been there to witness this and actually watched something take place. St. Peter uh, himself, being a great fisherman and knew the Sea of Galilee very well, and he knew exactly what a a good day was on the lake to catch a certain amount of fish. But to see two boats so full that they begin to sink, it's very clear and obvious to him that this wasn't just a happenstance, that this wasn't just something that was a fluke of nature. Uh, This was something miraculous. He suddenly puts it together that he's in the presence of the Almighty God. He's in the presence of someone who has power over all the forces of nature. And and it has a very interesting impact on him. I'm sure initially he, as we were told of the others, he's very astonished by what takes place. But then he begins to process it in his mind a little bit differently. He begins to think through it. You can tell that, that I'm standing in front of God. This, this man who did this is really God. And we don't know what's going on in his conscience or his heart, but for some reason there's something going on inside of him that is saying, I've got to put distance between me and this individual named Jesus. I can't be in his presence. It's too difficult for me. Maybe, maybe there was an incident that had just happened in his life that day or the day before. Maybe there's a particular sin he's been wrestling with. Maybe there was something in his past. Maybe there's a, a, an ongoing problem that he had, whatever it might be. Uh, there's something in his conscience that right now, at this moment in our text, is making him say, I should not be around this guy. This is dangerous for me. I, wanna, I want to have him get far away from me. And so he makes this strange prayer to Jesus. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
So maybe I or you have things like this in our lives too, that when we think about really, really honestly standing in the presence of God, um, what, would it, what would it be? I remember one of the preachers here at chapel when I was a student used to ask, so if, if Jesus suddenly showed up at your house or maybe looked through your computer, what, what, were the, what are the things that would make you the most afraid of that, of that moment? So Peter's assessment of the situation is very accurate and very correct. He, he is a sinful man. But his remedy for it is totally off the mark. His remedy is to put distance between himself and Christ. And Jesus knows that the remedy is the exact opposite. And that is to pull him closer to himself. So notice in our text, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Oh, come on, you're not that bad. He doesn't tell him, Well, some of the things that you struggle with are the same kind of problems that other people struggle with. Give yourself a break. He doesn't try to minimize Peter's sin at all. He, he lets it stand. His confession about his guilt is accurate, so he lets it stand. And yet he refuses to answer Peter's request. And just like someone asking a medical doctor, because they feel so sick, asking a medical doctor to stay away from them, the doctor is going to say, no, no, no. I need to be the one that comes to talk to you more than anybody. I need to be by your side closer than ever because I'm the one that can help. It's as if Jesus is saying to Peter here, you think the answer to your problem is to get further away from God? Is to get further away from me? You think that's going to make things better? No, it's the exact opposite. The remedy is for me to pull you close to me so you know who I am and what I've done for you. And this, is the, this brings us to the point of a very strange thing about Christianity, okay? When, when people realize in their heart, in their conscience, when they honestly evaluate themselves and realize, I am so unqualified to be a child of God, that's where God wants you to be. That's where God wants to come and speak to us the most boldly and to draw us to himself, you know, when paramedics arrive on a, on a scene of a bad car accident with multiple people injured and things, it's not the people coughing and moaning that they go to. It's the ones who are unconscious, who probably need the most help. Those are the ones they go to first, the most injured. And that's how it is in the kingdom of God. When, when we are at our most miserable, despicable, lowest point in our lives with our wickedness and our sin... That's when Christ says, you need me. That's when Christ says, I want to get close to you. I want to come to you because you need someone to fix this problem. And you need a savior. So Peter, Jesus doesn't waste any time letting Peter kind of twist in the wind in his guilt. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of hold off for a little bit. He, right away he comes to him and he says, do not be afraid. He's basically saying, you're right, I'm God. I am almighty, I am all-powerful. You've just witnessed this amazing, amazing miracle. I am the son of God. And yet, you have no reason to be afraid of God. He's really taking what he's going to do on the cross in the years ahead and bringing it and applying it right here into Peter's life and saying, because I'm a gracious, forgiving God who's going to pay for your sins, 
you have no reason to be afraid. Jesus conquers the hearts of people so that they follow him. He does this not by fear, not by intimidation, not by pressure, but he does it through mercy. He does it through compassion. He does it through forgiving, a forgiving heart toward us. You know, think, think of all the things at Jesus' arsenal, if he wanted, that could, he could use to intimidate people into following him. If you don't, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to crush you to hell. If you don't follow me, I am going to make your life miserable. Think of all the things as God that he could use to force you or force me to follow him. But he doesn't do that. He never does that. Instead, he comes to people through the gospel. He comes to us through the, the beautiful message that he's the Savior, that he's come to pay for our sins, and that his blood has covered all the guilt in our life, and that he's purchased heaven for us. He, he comes to us through the warmth of the heart of his Father that sent him into the world to be our Savior. And that's what wins people over. That, think of the woman who was probably a prostitute in the town and, and she comes during a meal and drops down at Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her tears and her hair and everything. He completely had won her over just because of his mercy and compassion. And if you think about the means of grace that Christ has given to us, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the preaching of his word, public absolution, it's always, it's really God saying to you in very personal ways, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to approach God because he loves you. And this is how Christ takes people's hearts and pulls them to himself. And Jesus now turns to Peter and to the rest of these disciples and he says, from now on, you're going to catch men. Think, think of the irony of this. Here you've got Peter who felt so guilty about how bad he was that he didn't think he should be around God. Jesus does the opposite, pulls him close to him, and then he says, I'm going to put you at the tip of my spear. I'm going to make you one of the top apostles to go out into the world and spread this same message to other people. I often wonder, how often did it come up in Peter's counseling when he was talking to somebody in one of the churches he was serving where somebody felt so miserable and guilty that they thought, there's no way I could be a, a child of God. And he talked to them about this incident and said, you know what, I felt that way once too. But I'm here to tell you that this Christ, he's different than the way other religions approach things. It's the exact opposite. The more miserable you feel about yourself, the more prepared you are to hear the wonderful news of what your Savior has done. Over in the Czech Republic, in the area of, of the Czech, there was a, um, a commander, a military commander back in the 15th century. His name was Jan Ziska. Jan Ziska. And he, to this day, is thought of as one of the greatest military leaders of, of that part of the world. And people still have such admiration for him. And they, they claim the reason for it is because his men knew that, that he was willing to die for them. And that winning the battle with them and for them meant everything to him. And at one point he was at the front of the battle and was mortally wounded and was now dying. And he had a very strange request as, as he was dying. His request was that after he died they would take his skin 
and, and stretch it over their drums so that his body could still be leading them into battle. That's how dedicated he was to them. It's that kind of dedication that, that made his soldiers that were under him just feel so loyal to him and want to follow him. Think what Christ has done for you. He's taken his very body and laid it over the coals of hell so that we would never know that kind of heat. We would never know that kind of punishment. He has taken all of God's fierce anger against the very things that may make us feel afraid of God, and he has taken that away by his blood. And so when he comes to you and me and he says, follow me, in whatever way that is, when he says, follow me, our hearts are drawn to want to go with him and to follow him. And he's the only one that's gone through the grave. And if he's done that and says, follow me, we have every reason to follow him. One last point, and that is this. Don't be surprised that if you're someone who, who God, through Christ, has touched your heart to want to believe in Christ, don't be surprised that God will find some way to put you in a position to talk to somebody else about their spiritual life and to potentially draw them to this wonderful Savior. I'm sure Peter, in the years that followed this, was amazed at how many opportunities he had to, to tell people about this same fantastic gospel that won him over that now had come for them as well. So that precious Savior says to you and me, follow me. Amen.